Neil, I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to open up the scriptures for us today. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we believe and trust that you inspired Matthew to record these words of Jesus accurately. And we ask you to, to help us hear what you want us to hear today. And then help us to do what you want us to do this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. Our whole church is giving our attention to Jesus' great commandment to love our neighbors. And today I want to ask, why? Why should we love our neighbors? Like, why would Jesus tell us to do this? And do you know who is famous for asking why questions? Three-year-olds. I heard you say it. Three-year-olds. I even saw it on a meme this past week. Daddy, why do we eat with a spoon? To keep our hands clean. Why? Because it's good to keep our hands clean. Why? So we don't get germs. Why? Okay, let me tell you about pathogens. Why? But do you know why three-year-olds ask why? I have some guesses, but I decided I would call an expert. I called Lois Wall this week. And uh, Lois is a preschool teacher. She's worked with kids for years. She's been at our church for a long time. She's also on our kids' discernment team. And so I called Lois up out of the blue and said, Lois, why do three-year-olds ask why? And she laughed at me, or laughed at my question. And then she gave a simple but a profound answer. She said, because there is so much of the world they don't know yet. And as our church has been meditating on Jesus' words, love your neighbor as yourself, I've realized that there is so much to loving our neighbor that I don't know yet. Remember the context that Becky just read. Jesus is being asked to name the very most important thing a human being could ever do, ever. What is the greatest commandment? And he says not one but two things, as if these two realities are, or these two things are really the same uh, side A and B of the same thing. Let me say that again. He says two things, as if these two things are really sides A and B of the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why should we love God is a sermon for a different series. So for today. Why should we love our neighbors? Would Jesus simply say, because it's lovely to be loving, and it's good to be good, and it's nice to be nice? Or would Jesus say, because when you give your neighbors a plate of cookies, you can slip in an evangelistic tract? I've never spent so much time in my entire life thinking about Jesus' command to love our neighbors as I have in this fall focus. And many of our church people are like me, wrestling with this more deeply than ever before. And we're like three-year-olds. There is so much to loving our neighbors we don't know yet. So why love our neighbors? Why should I love the house of college students next door to my house, with Coco and Grace and Myra, Victoria and Sarah living in it, and Amigdio's family on the other side? And Esperanza and Raphael across the street. And Connie and Elias next to them. Elias has COVID right now. My wife made him some soup. Um, he's recovering. But why should we love them? And so as best I can tell from the scriptures, uh, let me work out an answer for us this morning. Okay? 
see if you agree with me. Our answer starts with Genesis 1 and 2 in the garden. There is a call for all of humans to experience shalom. Shalom is that Hebrew word that we translate into English as peace. It means thriving, wholeness, deep satisfaction. And in the garden, as described in Genesis 1 and 2, there is shalom with God. There's no atheism, no false religions, no doubt. There's shalom with each other, no child protective services, no military industrial complex, no loneliness epidemic. There's shalom with ourselves in the garden. No therapist appointments, no self-harm, no anxious nights, ever. And there's shalom with creation. No plastic trash islands, no COVID. The garden is a pretty good world. And humans are given the choice to participate in shalom God's way or to try and grasp it on their own. It's true for humanity. Everyone everywhere is looking for shalom and has a choice. But Genesis chapter 3 describes humans grasping it on their own, which leads to hell erupting on earth. And all the shalom just described, it tears apart and down we go. We experience this great challenge. Satan is the culprit. Humans are complicit. But God so loves the world that he sends Jesus into this hellscape to work towards shalom once again. This drawing is kind of simple. I need some of you artist types to make it more beautiful and powerful. Jesus is leading us where? He's leading us towards the shalom that we were created to experience. The completion of our call happens. It's described in Revelation 21 and 22. If you have not read the final pages of the Bible recently, I encourage you that your afternoon plans should include 10 minutes with the last two pages of the scriptures. It's breathtaking. Chaos is gone. The earth is renewed. God dwells with humanity in a way that is clear to everyone, and shalom is abundant. And this is my answer to the question, why is loving our neighbors part of the most important thing we could do? Because somehow, neighbor love is charged with heaven. Somehow, neighbor love participates on this journey from Genesis to Revelation. Yes, hellos are simple. And sharing fruit from your tree is easy. Eating a meal together is just eating. But these acts of love, experiences of heaven. Ever since ancient Greek philosophy proposed a secular sacred divide, The Western world is tempted to think that food is just food, love is just a convenient evolutionary adaptation. But the Bible suggests no divide between the sacred and the secular. Every good gift is from above, coming down from the Heavenly Father. Our whole world is infused with God's activity and blessing, and neighbor love is a sacred part of God's work in the world. This is an expansive reason to love our neighbors, is it not? Now, can we get more specific 
about how loving our neighbors is part of the grand journey of humanity? The answer is yes. Uh, when my kids were younger, we used to do connect the dot sheets. You, you have a piece of paper with a jumble of dots with numbers by them, and you connect dot one to dot two to dot three to dot four, and then a picture of a bunny would slowly take shape on the page. As we connect the dots in the Bible, a picture of our calling slowly takes shape and how it all fits together. So let me see if I can connect a few more of these dots. Jesus is the next dot. Jesus' earthly life maps onto the journey that all humanity is on, and Jesus' story highlights some key details to this story. So let's take a look. The call on Jesus' life starts at his baptism. Luke chapter 3. God's voice booms out from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And he, is, he begins his ministry to bring shalom into our world. He's supposed to ignore Satan's temptation and redeem it in a way that redeems Adam and Eve's failure in the garden. Jesus heads into a desert. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Jesus has just been baptized. He's been sent out by God, and immediately the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert. Here we go. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Back and forth, three times with Satan. Satan tempting Jesus, Jesus responding with Scripture. Satan tries what he tried with Adam and Eve. But Jesus resists, and he completes his calling. Picking it up in verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the report about him went out throughout the countryside. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And he went into the synagogue. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he sat down. Shalom was breaking into the world because Jesus had moved through his desert challenge. And he was continuing on his mission. Now this story that I just read, it highlights three key details. And in fact, actually we need to look at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew tells the same account and he adds one detail that Luke leaves out. Matthew writes that, behold, the angels came in the desert and were ministering to him. So together with Luke and Matthew, there's three key details that this story highlights. There's three allies, three allies who come and help Jesus in the midst of his challenge. Did you notice what they were? One of them was the angels from Matthew. Here they are. It's the Holy Spirit. In verse 1 and verse 14, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert, and he leads him out of the desert. It's the Scripture. 
Three times Jesus quotes scripture to resist temptation. And it's the angels. It's Jesus' community. These three allies were essential for Jesus to complete his calling. And here's where the dots connect. This journey that Jesus walks on is the journey that all of humanity walks on, is the journey your neighbors walk on. Your neighbors are on this journey, whether they know it or not, simply because they are human. You are on this journey, whether you know it or not, simply because you're human. Each of us, each of your neighbors has a call on their life to experience shalom and to contribute to shalom with God, each other, themselves, and the creation. Have you ever thought of that before? It's not just Christians who are on a journey with God. Every person is. Some people just don't realize it yet. This is how God created humans in Genesis 1 to play a role in God's shalom-filled world and Satan is trying to tear shalom apart. But your neighbors have three allies, just like Jesus has three allies in the desert. Ally number one that your neighbors have, the Holy Spirit. He is ready. He is willing to help if they were to call out to him. Ally number two, the scriptures. They are available to speak life and give guidance to your neighbors if they want it. Ally number three, their community. You live right next door. When Jesus says love your neighbors, he is challenging you to be this community for your neighbors, to be this community for your neighbor who is on a Jesus-shaped journey because there's a call on your neighbor's life. To be this community for your neighbors because no one can fully complete their calling without the help of the Holy Spirit with scriptures and with community. You know, it's almost as if every single neighbor is Frodo Baggins from the Lord of the Rings. Every neighbor has been given an important mission to bring shalom into the world. And part of the most important thing Jesus says a human can do is to love these neighbors. So that they can complete their mission. I really like the word shalom. Our college pastor, Peter Nittler, really likes the word flourish. They're basically synonyms. And this year, the motto of college life is that all may flourish. You guys have been hearing about this in September and October. But together, many others in, together with many others in our church, College Life made 1,500 stickers with that motto, that all may flourish. And they put them on 1,100 succulent pots. They made, put them on 400 invitations. And they gave them out to their neighbors at UC Davis. College Life has been hosting awesome parties. They've handed out 1,000 cookies Uh, nothing helps a person flourish like a good cookie. Am I right? College lifers are praying. They're offering Bible studies. They're offering loneliness support groups. They're doing retreats. They're having thoughtful conversations and talks about Christianity. They're a truly delightful community as they work to love their UC Davis neighbors. Can we give it up for college life, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. And Jesus says... To love your neighbors because Jesus wants your neighbors to complete their calling. and He's placed you in your neighborhood to be community with them. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, When you hear me say that, 
what do you notice rising up inside of you? Hold on for just a moment and think about that. What is rising up inside you as if you've heard me preach thus far? If you're a note taker, maybe write down on that green neighbor map that you have. Uh, what's rising up inside you, good or bad, when I say that Jesus wants your neighbors to complete their calling and he's placed you in your neighborhood to be community with them? Just take a moment, think about that. Jesus, I feel like this is important. That, that as we hear your word, how we respond is important. Would you help us to pay attention to, to what you're doing in our hearts right now? If you know me well, you know that when I hear this challenge from Jesus to love my neighbors, you know that I want to race home today and invite myself over to each of their houses have individual, in-depth conversations with all 15 of my immediate neighbors about how they're gifted to bring shalom and talk about faith and doubt and everything. And I want to host social events on our street and seminars on all the relevant topics. And I want to journey with each of my 15 neighbors consistently for years so that they can complete their journey. That's what's rising up inside of me. And if you know me well, you know that I have an inexorably unrealistic sense of what I have time to do. I can't do all that. And I have an equally unrealistic opinion that all of my neighbors actually want me to be part of their community. <laughs> they don't. I know that for a fact. This past month in my home group, we've been wrestling with these two observations. <laughs> uh, we don't have time to love all our neighbors deeply. And not all of our neighbors are interested in what we have to offer. Has your home group talked about these realities? It's quite possible that you are already investing a lot of time and energy into your friends and your family and your colleagues. You simply don't have capacity to be community with each of your physical neighbors. And so I have good news for you. We're reading chapters 9 and 10 in the Art of Neighboring book this week. And chapters 9 and 10 address these very important points. And I think my home group is going to breathe a sigh of relief. I'm breathing a sigh of relief for my afternoon. And I have even better news for you. Jesus himself understands our overwhelm. And the fact that many are not interested in a relationship with us. Jesus understands this. Luke, the gospel writer, he recounts a time when Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples, 72, two by two, into every town and place where Jesus is about to go. And he gave them this instruction. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them and remain in that same house. See, Jesus is aware that not everyone is open-hearted toward his disciples. And so he instructs them to focus their attention on people whom he calls people of peace. People of peace. That's what Jesus himself did. Even though God so loved the world, Jesus gave the majority of his attention 
to people who were open-hearted to him, who welcomed him into their lives. But to the famous cast of biblical characters who did not, the Pharisees, King Herod, Pilate, the rich young ruler, to these people Jesus devoted very little of his time. Author Michael, Michael Simpson points out that Christ did not run after the rich young ruler because he knew the young man's heart wasn't ready. Wow, I'm tempted to run after the rich people. Jesus knew the young man's heart wasn't ready, and so he let him walk. Instead, Michael Simpson writes, Jesus made himself available to those willing to wholeheartedly seek God. Even with Jesus' close inner circle of disciples, he gave special attention to a few, to Mary Magdalene, to Peter, to James, and to John. There are stories in the Gospels where Jesus just takes Peter, James, and John with him, and the rest he leaves behind. It's the same Jesus who challenges us to love our neighbors who also says, focus on people of peace. Spend the majority of your love capacity on people of peace. The authors of our Art of Neighboring book help us to think about it this way. They write, Who are two or three households in your neighborhood with whom you really connect and who really connect with you? They're really open to having a relationship with you and you with them. Identify these people and then invest in their lives. The idea is simple. Purposefully limit yourself to a few close relationships. Aim for deeper relationships with a narrower focus. This is what Jesus is challenging us to do. How do you know if someone is a person of peace to you? Here's how. Uh, They are open-hearted to you, and they reciprocate. You wave, they wave back. You bring them fruit, they bring you cookies. You ask them a question about their life, they ask you a question about your life. Don't worry too much about the neighbors who are not safe for you or who seem uninterested. And of course, you can pray for them and love them as you're able. My wife and I just watched the movie A Man Called Otto last night. I've read the book before, um, and Otto was not a person of peace to the neighbors that moved in. But the neighbor was relentless in their love, and sure enough, the story resolved well, and Otto was blessed. So sometimes you have neighbors you just need to love. And other times, you need to just focus on the people of peace. Adam Ramirez uh, is not my physical neighbor, but he is a person of peace to me. You've likely seen Adam up front. He's often on the bass guitar. Uh, He took me out for coffee this week, and we talked about people of peace. And I want to share with you some of our conversation that we had. Adam lives in South Davis near Pioneer Park, and he has an open heart for his neighbors. We were sitting over coffee, and he told me this. He says, in a way that I can't replicate, you just have to go to coffee with Adam. He says, people need to know that they are loved. We need to see people as Jesus sees them. Little gestures touch the heart of people. And people, Adam said, they're so eager to be noticed and loved. That's Adam's experience with his neighbors. I asked him what sorts of things he does to build relationships with his neighbors, and he said cookies. A man after my own stomach and my heart. 
He makes cookies. He said he especially at Christmas, he buys nice little white boxes and he puts Christmas cookies in and he draws like Christmas trees all over the boxes and hands them out to his neighbors. Um, he asks questions. He said to me that, that all our hearts yearn for love. And he sees people walking in the street and he, he sees them and thinks they're yearning to be loved. And so he asks them questions and learns about his neighbors and learns what they're interested in. And since all of our neighbors are on this shalom-bringing journey with God, whether they realize it or not, I asked Adam if he's ever noticed any ways that, that he's been able to help people take the next step on their journey with Jesus. Adam said that some of his neighbors have actually come to church, become Christians, experienced joy for the first time. You know, I tried to actually get Adam to come up on stage with me to have this conversation, um, but he said to me, I can't. I'm hosting a block party today. He's actually live streaming right now um, with him. He and his wife, Becky, are live streaming the service because they have to go right after this to host this block party for neighbors who have lived on their street for 50 years. Adam's not that old. He's only been there on the street for 25 years. But he's hosting a block party for the whole neighborhood because these neighbors are moving. And the whole block is getting together to help them take the next step on the journey and to bless them. Adam's main aim is to love and care, to notice and invite. He says it's up to God to do the rest. But shalom is breaking in to Adam's neighborhood. It's almost as if Adam and his wife, Becky, as they love their neighbors, their neighborhood is experiencing a taste of the shalom that will come again when Jesus returns. A little taste of heaven right there in South Davis. So my two suggestions for this week. Pray for the people of peace on your street. In fact, you can pray for everybody on your street, but especially pray for the people of peace. And then number two, find ways to love people of peace that are in keeping with your personality and your constraints. If you're a cookie baker, bake cookies. If you're a question asker, ask questions. If you're a hugger, maybe give somebody a high five. <laughs> Spoken by a person who is obviously not a hugger. If you're none of these things, maybe do something different. See, this is what I'm captivated by as we go through our fall focus. There are neighbors on your street who need to be loved in ways that come naturally to you. What if Jesus tells us to know our neighbors or to love our neighbors because he knows the role that you will play in their lives? So let me ask you a closing question. Do you know why I am the way I am? I am who I am today because other people gathered around me as my community. There were people of peace to me and they invested their time in me. Without them, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be who I am. <laughs> my parents were my first neighbors and so much of who I am is who they are. My literal physical neighbor, Sherry Glenkler, took my mom to the hospital to give birth to me because my dad was away on a business trip in San Francisco. I wouldn't be here. Maybe I would have been born. Maybe I would have been born. But they would have worked it out somehow, <laughs> at home, in the dresser drawer, somehow. But she, in the middle of the night, got a call from my mom and said, could you drive me to the hospital? 
Sherry Glankler was community for us. When I was a young teen, an older man who lived next door used to hire me to do jobs around his yard, which helped me develop confidence. When I was 17, uh, 17 years old, sorry, I got distracted. Uh, when I was 17 years old, uh, when I first heard that there were a few people who were praying for me, which made me realize that my life was a product of other people's prayers. I was in college living with four housemate neighbors. We were all there, five of us in this apartment. And we first started exploring the idea of being community with each other, having weekly meals together, confessing sin, challenging each other to live pure lives. We didn't only play video games. People of peace throughout my adult years have checked in on me, listened to me, given me advice, loaned me tools. And if there are people of peace living on your street, my hunch is that they need you in their lives to help them become who God has created them to be, just like I have needed and still need people in my life to help me become who God has created me to be. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your scripture. Where would we be without it? This week, would you bring people of peace to mind and would you show us the easy ways that we can love these people? That we would draw closer to your heart and that our streets will be filled with shalom. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. What a great reminder as we go and love on those in our city. If you want to keep giving, uh, or if you want to keep worshiping through giving, uh, you can do that. There's boxes in the back. Also, there is a link and a QR code uh, to send you to the website. You can also give online as well. We have a couple announcements this week for you. First, right after I am done talking over in the Fellowship Hall will be uh, the Next Steps Lunch. So if you're trying to figure out what is your next step here at FBC, maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe you're not sure uh, where God's leading you in that, that is a great uh, place to hear more about that. Also, if uh, you're interested in membership, you can also find out more information there. It is free, and kids are also welcome. Next next week is our annual Friendsgiving potluck. Uh, this is an exciting event. As everyone knows, besides Christmas and Easter, Thanksgiving is the greatest holiday. Uh, so it's another Thanksgiving meal for you. Uh, so this is a, a potluck. So bring uh, a meal, but it's also, we have to call it a taste of uh, the world meal where if you are not from uh, the U.S. and you have awesome cultural meals that you can bring, do that. Or if you have a family recipe, bring that. We love to experience each other's uh, cultures and, and nationalities. There's a lot of them in this church, and, and that's really cool that we get to experience people's food that maybe we wouldn't make at our house. So next week, 5 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall, Bring your own utensils, dishware. Uh, we will have some for you, but we encourage you to bring some yourself. Would you guys stand with me as we receive this benediction, please? May the grace of Christ, the love of God, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. Amen. Have a good week. We will see you next week.